Hey folks, Dave here. Andrew. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Today we will be continuing our read of Brave New World by Aldous Huxley with Chapter 4. Yay! I Music. miss chapter titles. <laughs> Okay, well, welcome, folks. Uh, this will be a bit of a different episode. Uh, Rue and I actually, this is round two. We already recorded our reaction to chapter four, but there was problems with the levels of the microphones, and we're doing a do-over. Yes. So, so I get to go through the same chapter. Mm. We'll, we'll try and make our reactions as um, authentic as we can. Uh, I mean, we kind of know what's coming, but hopefully we can have the same discussion we had last time. Everything for me is going to be in you anyway, because my brain is not. It, it's the, the So as this is going to be released, we're still bang smack in the middle of a quarantine in most parts of the world. <sighs> and so it starts to affect your ability to actually um, co co cognate. Your brain starts doing funny things. And so for me, a lot of these things do feel, even if I've read a chapter like five minutes ago, I will forget it because I'll, I'll know what happened, but my memory is playing up a bit. Yay. Well, actually, I mean, that's perfect for uh, what we're doing. Yes, I have. I'm having the goldfish brain, although that's apparently a myth, but I'm having guppy brain, as I like to put it. I space out very easily right now. <laughs> Well, let's let's start off by uh, in the last chapter. You mentioned you had some new pets. How are I, they doing? They're growing. Um, well, I sacrificed some of them because I just didn't like the pace of the sourdough growing. I uh, yes, I was about to say before we just talk about sacrificing pets, we should reiterate that these are this is uh, sourdough sourdough yeast. creatures. Yes, I like to call them yeasters or yeast creatures. Um, or yeasty boys, many names, many iterations. Because Rue is a woman of culture. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's horrible. Great, but terrible. But yeah, so I've started a new one from scratch, which literally took 24 hours until I got this vigorous bubbling thing, because we live in Australia, and so the climate is warmer. <laughs> and so even if it's winter, it's warm enough for the yeast to, to have a party. Um, and the other one is, is doing pretty well as well. So it's, there's two yeast creatures and I've changed the technique and it's great. I, I, I do enjoy growing, um, sourdough cultures. It's kind of fun. Even um, if most people don't really like the smell of them when they get a full face full, I don't mind. It's okay. <laughs> uh, the, is it quite pungent? I guess the word is. Yeah, it's pungent. It's, it's not horrible, but it's just, it's very... Like, it's sourdough. It smells sour. It's the whole point. <laughs> well, wonders never cease. <laughs> no. Um, one of them can smell... A, one of them smells slightly almost boozy. That's the new one. Um, because I forgot to feed it in time. Um, so, but it's robust. It's surviving. But it did get a little tipsy last night um, mm. when I forgot to feed it in the evening. Because that's what it produces. It produces um, amongst various things it can produce low, low levels of, of alcohol 
And if you leave it be for a while, it forms a, a layer of liquid on the top, which not in my case, not in, in my creatures, but I've seen videos and pictures and it forms a layer on the top. And that thin layer of alcohol is called hooch. Ah. The origins. Well, yeah, I, I had this question to myself last week. I was thinking about, um, you know, beer is pretty much fermented uh, bread and uh wine is fermented grapes and i'm like you know these are both thousands upon thousands of years old but i wonder which was first that's um i mean there, there are debates on that but i don't know i like I, it, it there was a big debate that it came uh from the from georgia amongst other things georgia is not america georgia georgia Former USSR up in the Caucasus, up in the Caucasus, uh, that 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 would be up in the Caucasian range of the mountains. That's that um, area apparently is one of the first uh, places of fermentation of grapes. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's a history behind it. I don't drink personally, so I like. Although I'm familiar with the, like how the cultural, some of the cultural stuff, it's not a huge passion for me <laughs> but yeah it's okay hey, no those who do who need to who wish to that's that's fine like i don't judge it well yeah. so and here here's the thing uh moving on to brave new world going back into what happened in chapter three the cool thing and you probably remember this route is that chapter four is a bit different in that we're no longer just looking into how the world works. This is the first chapter where we really get time with character. Yeah, we had a little hint of it in chapter three. We were starting to hear that interesting dialogue at the end that was absolutely chaotic, <coughs> chaotic dialogue as it was written um, and the overlap. And now we have a little bit more insights into the, um, I'd like, I remember that in chapter four, we actually got to know a little bit more about the people. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll find out as we go into it. But yes, uh, chapter three was uh, madness, uh, not only in um, content, but just, yeah, the jumping back and forth between multiple conversations and ideas. There was something that I I mentioned to a friend, a friend of mine that I mentioned that I'm like, I'm really finding it very uncomfortable reading this book and um she pointed out yeah well i mean that's the point the point is to confront us with these concepts and ideas taken to the x like the nth degree if we took mass production and if we took all these um notions of industrialization and we took them to the nth degree what would that look like in our society if we had that as the basis of our morality and our decision making and then the uh, my reflection, she was saying, this is intentional. And I'm like, well, yeah, I get that it's intentional. It's still really uncomfortable to read. <laughs> like, I find it very difficult because it is, I guess, such an, it's in such opposition, this and, and 1984, such opposition to the values that I hold dear, mm. or I, I like to see in the world or the hopes I have for humanity, I guess. Mm. But yeah, it's grotesque. The word that she used was it's a grotesque warning as a, as a using a grotesque description of these attitudes and what that would look like in society as a, as a warning. And I went, yeah, 
I still find it really difficult. <laughs> well, one thing I've been thinking about is, you know, it's it's a common phrase bandied about how humans are social creatures. Um, we form connections with with each other, and that tends to strengthen us and and it nourishes us. We we kind of need other people. We we've just always been that way, and. In both this and 1984, the kind of the core of human connection, the family or having relationships with other people, both of them have been perverted in some way. Yeah, yeah. It's it's dehumanizing everything that I guess we, in terms of relationships, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Because, yeah, in 1984, it's basically you have to mistrust everyone else because you don't know uh who's going to stick a dagger in your back metaphorically yeah. uh but in this it's more like there are no boundaries between people it's just oh i like the look of that person well we're going to go off and do our thing and that's the extent of everything in fact yeah. if, if we want to do it again people might think that's weird yeah it's it's definitely a very i guess flippant very it's a very material driven mm -hmm. perspective on on life and society and relationships i mean relationships that's a dirty word yes yes because there is no family in this world no, no. yeah so it's 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 definitely difficult and then we see glimmers or we see patterns of this in our current society as well not 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 to the extent that is described in the book no hopefully. uh yeah people uh what kind of happens especially in times of great crisis which we are living through at the moment um kind of the difference well yeah i talked about it i think last episode or the episode before um we're, we're noticing just how uh individualistic certain cultures are and how that's been a detriment in um addressing this crisis yeah, and and this idea of I guess humans as a consumable, well as as consumables I think was the mm -hmm. the expression like no we're not consumables, we are ultimately, like it isn't in our consummation and it isn't in our being consumed that our value lies. Mm -hmm. Humans as consumable. I mean that's been the theme so far that just it focuses on the material, and. If you live in a society that is completely focused on only, uh, I guess, monetary value or eco economical value, humans become consumables. Humans become consumed because it is uh, in the interest of, uh, you know, a society that is, or this isn't even a society. This isn't, I would straight up say it's not a society. Society indicates social structure. This is not a social structure. This is a machine. They're just literally. It's a system. It's a system. It's not a society. Yeah, I'd argue that. And writing that down. Which is interesting because I remember during our 1984, we, you kept on using like, you know, cog in the machine, that kind of language. Yeah. And this seems much more that. They're both they're uh, both machines and cogs in different ways, but I think that I mean it was described in 1984 as it's like a boot stomping on the face of humanity, in perpetuum, yes, mm. 1984. Whereas this is, 
like just constant, like a never-ending treadmill. Yeah. Yeah, pr- and, pr- pr- pretty much from, I, I mean, and it's kind of, you know, your worth and what you are is determined before you become a person, pretty much. But because they're mass producing that, people out of zygote, so beyond that, they're producing you with a desired value. So it's not that that you your worth are determined and you as an individual, etc. The individual doesn't count at all. It's all about the society and this the well society, we, we, the we system. Need, yeah, we need this gear right here, so we're going to make that gear. Yes, uh, and it's it's very. Yeah, it does mess with the head a bit. But let us, I believe. Okay. Commence. Four. The lift was crowded with men from the alpha changing rooms, and Lanina's entry was greeted by many friendly nods and smiles. She was a popular girl, and at one time or another had spent a night with almost all of them. They were dear boys, she thought, as she returned their salutations. Charming boys. Still, she did wish that George Etzel's ears weren't quite so big. Perhaps he'd been given just a spot too much parathyroid at meter 328. And looking at Benito Hoover, she couldn't help remembering that he was really too hairy when he took his clothes off. Turning with eyes a little saddened by the recollection of Benito's curly blackness, she saw in the corner the small thin body, the melancholy face of Bernard Marx. Bernard, she stepped up to him. I was looking for you. Her voice rang clear above the hum of the mounting lift. The others looked round curiously. I think this is where um, we're starting to see. I know that they have a limited number of names, mm-hmm. but that the names may reflect on the ethnicities. But I think just from dim recollection, that actually becomes a thing that we, we, we discussed or we will discuss, I guess, because when we get there, it's going to possibly come up. Okay. Uh... The others looked round curiously. I wanted to talk to you about our New Mexico plan. Out of the tail of her eyes, she could see Benito Hoover gaping with astonishment. The gape annoyed her. Surprised I shouldn't be begging to go with him again, she said to herself. Then aloud, and more warmly than ever, I'd simply love to come with you for a week in July, she went on. Anyhow, she was publicly proving her unfaithfulness to Henry. Fanny ought to be pleased, even though it was Bernard. That is, Lenina gave him her most deliciously significant smile. If you still want to have me. Bernard's pale face flushed. What on earth for, she wondered, astonished, but at the same time touched by this strange tribute to her power. Hadn't we better talk about it somewhere else, he stammered, looking horribly uncomfortable. As though I'd been saying something shocking, thought Lenina. He couldn't look more upset if I'd made a dirty joke, asked him who his mother was, or something like that. I mean, with all these people about, he was choked with confusion. Lenina's laugh was frank and wholly unmalicious. How funny you are, she said, and she quite genuinely did think him funny. You'll give me at least a week's warning, won't you? She went on in another tone. I suppose we take the Blue Pacific Rocket? Does it start from the Charring Tea Tower, or is it from Hampstead? Before Bernard could answer, the lift came to a standstill. Roof, called a creaking voice. The liftman was a small simian creature, dressed in the black tunic of an epsilon-minus semi-moron. Roof. He flung open the gates. The warm glory of afternoon sunlight made him start and blink his eyes. Oh, Roof, he repeated in a voice of rapture. 
He was as though suddenly and joyfully awakened from a dark, annihilating stupor. Ruth! He smiled up with a kind of doggedly expectant adoration into the faces of his passengers. Talking and laughing together, they stepped out into the light. The liftman looked after them. Ruth? he said once more, questioningly. Then a bell rang, and from the ceiling of the lift, a loudspeaker began, very softly and yet very imperiously, to issue its commands. Go down, it said. Go down, floor 18. Go down, go down, floor 18. Go down, go. The liftman slammed the gates, touched a button, and instantly dropped back into the droning twilight of the well, the twilight of his own habitual stupor. It was warm and bright on the roof. The summer afternoon was drowsy with the hum of passing helicopters, and the deeper drone of the rocket planes hastening, invisible, through the bright sky five or six miles overhead, was like a caress on the soft air. Bernard Marx drew a deep breath. He looked up into the sky and round the blue horizon, and finally down into Lenina's face. Isn't it beautiful? His voice trembled a little. She smiled at him with an expression of the most sympathetic understanding. Simply perfect for obstacle golf, she answered rapturously. And now I must fly, Bernard. Henry gets cross if I keep him waiting. Let me know in good time about the date. And waving her hand, she ran away across the wide flat roof towards the hangars. Bernard stood watching the retreating twinkle of the white stockings, the sunburnt knees vivaciously bending and unbending again, again, and the softer rolling of those well-fitted corduroy shorts beneath the bottle green jacket. His face wore an expression of pain. I should say she was pretty, said a loud and cheery voice just behind him. Bernard started and looked around. The chubby red face of Benita Hoover was beaming down at him, beaming with manifest cordiality. Benita was notoriously good-natured. People said of him that he could have got through life without ever touching Soma. The malice and bad tempers from which other people had to take holidays never afflicted him. Reality for Benita was always sunny. Pneumatic, too, and how. Then, in another tone, But I say, he went on, you do look glum. What you need is a gram of Soma. Diving into his right-hand trouser pocket, Benito produced a file. One cubic centimeter cures ten glimmy. But I say, Bernard had suddenly turned and rushed away. Benito stared after him. What can't be the matter with the fellow, he wondered, and, shaking his head, decided that the story about the alcohol having been put into the poor chap's blood surrogate must be true. Touched his brain, I suppose. He put away the Soma bottle, and, taking out a packet of sex hormone chewing gum, stuffed a plug into his cheek and walked slowly away towards the hangars, ruminating. Henry Foster had had his machine wheeled out of its lockup, and, when Lenina arrived, was already seated in the cockpit, waiting. Four minutes late, was all his comment, as she climbed in beside him. He started the engines and threw the helicopter screws into gear. The machine shot vertically into the air. Henry accelerated. The humming of the propeller shrilled from hornet to wasp, from wasp to mosquito. The speedometer showed that they were rising at the best part of two kilometers a minute. London diminished beneath them. The huge tabletop buildings were no more. In a few seconds, then a bed of geometrical mushrooms sprouting from the green of parking garden. In the midst of them, thin stalked, a taller, slenderer fungus, the Charing Tea Tower lifted towards the sky a disk of shining concrete. Like the vague torsos of fabulous athletes, 
Huge fleshy clouds lolled on the blue air above their heads. Out of one of them suddenly dropped a small scarlet insect, buzzing as it fell. That's the red rocket, said Henry. Just came in from New York. Looking at his watch, seven minutes behind time, he added, and shook his head. These Atlantic services, they're really scandalously unpunctual. He took his foot off the accelerator. The humming of the screws overhead dropped an octave and a half, back through Wasp and Hornet to Bumblebee, to Cockchafer, to Stag Beetle. The upward rush at the machine slackened off. A moment later, they were hanging motionless in the air. Henry pushed at a lever. There was a click, slowly at first, then faster and faster, till it was a circular mist before their eyes. The propeller in front of them began to revolve. The wind of a horizontal speed whistled ever more shrilly in the stays. Henry kept his eye on the revolution counter. When the needle touched the 1200 mark, he threw the helicopter screws out of gear. The machine had enough forward momentum to be able to fly on its planes. Lenina looked down through the window in the floor between her feet. They were flying over the six-kilometer zone of Parkland that separated central London from its first ring of satellite suburbs. The green was maggoty with foreshortened life. Forests of centrifugal bubble poppy towers gleamed between the trees. Near Shepherd's Bush, 2,000 beta-minus mixed doubles were playing Ryman surface tennis. A double row of Escalator 5's courts lined the main road from Notting Hill to Willensden. In the Alien Stadium, a Delta gymnastic display and community sing was in progress. What a hideous color cocky is, remarked Lenina, voicing the hypnopedic prejudices of her cast. The buildings of the Hounslow Feely studio covered seven and a half hectares. Near them, a black and cocky army of laborers was busy revetrifying the surface of the Great West Road. One of the huge traveling crucibles was being tapped as they flew over. The molten stone poured out in a stream of dazzling incandescence across the road. The asbestos rollers came and went. At the tail of an insulated watering cart, the steam rose in white clouds. At Brentford, the television corporation's factory was like a small town. They must be changing the shift, said Lenina. Like aphids and ants, the leaf-green gamma girls, the black semi-morons swarmed round the entrances, or stood in queues to take their places in the monorail tram cars. Mulberry-colored beta-minuses came and went among the crowd. The roof of the main building was alive with the alighting and departure of helicopters. Okay, it's happened a couple times now, so I just want to address how... Um, they're really focusing in not only on the different colors that each of the casts are wearing, but kind of the almost normal prejudice that um, the is being displayed for them. Yeah, yeah. And there's also this thing, like you can see specifically the kind of jobs that they're associated with. Like, did, like, did you feel kind of sad for that, um, that liftman? It seems he was specifically yeah, bred well, to only be like he was he's ecstatic when he was on the roof you know that one yeah that word. he's he's driven to go there like that's his reward mm. and otherwise he's always in the in the gloom he's always in the dark and yeah i mean he was uh what was he he was a I'm going back. beta minus semi moron i think no no epsilon no no minus, no no, no. E yeah epsilon was, yeah. minus yeah so i mean if i if if we track them epsilon is epsilon the the they're right at the bottom 
the I rut of the bottom of the class. I think so, because, let's see, there's alpha, beta, gamma, delta, and epsilon, I believe. Yeah. That's it. There's an epsilon, and then now we're seeing, like, the betas, and so the deltas, they've got absolute disdain for. And even now we've learned, you know, it was it was said last chapter with um, the rumors about Bernard being an alpha plus. Uh, yeah, we have pluses and minuses to the cast as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we've got this whole idea. So in, in TV, so the Television Corporation's factory is Gamma Girls and Black... Black Gammas. Oh, no, Leaf Green Gamma Girls. Black semi moron, so that uh, black epsilon is delta. Epsilon is black, yeah. I believe so. And then there was the mulberry colored beta minuses. Yeah. Okay. Just just want to point that out because um, if memory serves me, as we continue on with the chapter, uh, there is some disparaging remarks towards uh, the color people are wearing, and you know, just to get out of the way now, so people may not listening may not be as offended by uh the harsh language yeah the harsh language is used i mean there is something about this that does hint that race and racism may be part of this yeah but you, you brought up last time about benito being a um an italian name yeah well italian or spanish like it's 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 um of some sort of like uh mediterranean kind of um origin is is what the indication because it's there's these these stereotypical associations of swarthy and like mm, the hair on his chest that lenina was thinking about yeah yes and the, how negative and adverse she is towards it so i'm that's why i was saying like the naming might have a structure to it but i mean we haven't well, we're gonna encounter some more culturally diverse names i guess one, but, yeah. one in specific comes to mind yeah, well, there's, there's, yeah, so we've got these, there's something, I think, I don't know if the author will go into this in more detail, but whether the epsilons are or are not actually of African origin. Okay, yeah. Or like that we don't know. Um, no. The way that it's presented hasn't made it explicitly clear, but they wear, the epsilons wear black. And, and I mean, this is uh, the prejudice and the separation of, jobs to those of like lower worth i mean that that's obviously a just a straight reflection of the society that aldous huxley would have been living in in england at the time well some of it was that yeah that one is disparaging towards those with me i mean that that's a thing that we're seeing generally yeah, have seen for a while but yeah it's um even that attitude we hear it now like skilled labor versus unskilled labor and mm -hmm. you're going it's funny that we're focusing so much on unskilled, you know, certain things being unskilled labor, where in fact, they're essential work. Yep. As we have discovered during this crisis. <laughs> yes, yes. But I... watch how fast outside of the crisis, I know I'm clipping a bit, watch how fast outside of this crisis that those essential roles are suddenly unskilled labor again. Yeah, well, well I, mean, I mean, especially for those who hold those views. They're, they're, I, I imagine they're the ones who are most vocal about what they want things to get back to the way they were before the crisis. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They're not coping very well with the fact that their work, um, even though they may have skills that have that are classed as skilled work, they're not necessarily essential. Mm. 
Uh, they must be changing the shift, said Lenina, like Ephod's Nance, the leaf green gamma girls, the black semi-morons swarmed round the entrances, or stood in queues to take their places in the monorail tram cars. Mulberry-colored beta minuses came and went among the crowd. The roof of the main building was alive with the alighting and departure of helicopters. My word, said Lenina, I'm glad I'm not a gamma. Ten minutes later, they were at Stoke Pogues and had started their first round of obstacle golf. Mm. Section two. Give me one second. I'm making a list of the colors. Ah. Yeah, because it's bugging me now. Her rue is categorizing. I need to. I haven't gone, like, I'm not sorting it by minuses and pluses because I don't know the colors off by heart. Well, and that's also weird distinctions. Like, is... So why is there an alpha plus and an alpha? And is there an alpha minus? Or what is the difference? Yes, yes, they did, they did say there's an alpha minus. I can't remember where, but it did come up. I don't know. Like, and is there an alpha average? Well, that would just be alpha, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, conf I'm confused. I'm sure someone else has done. Actually, you know what? Give me one moment. I need this in front of <laughs> To Google. <laughs> to Google. So I'm brave. <clears throat> okay. Brave New World Color. I hope, I hope you don't get any spoilers by... I'm not. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go with color categories. 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 No one's made a grid. How unkind. Okay, but there's something here. Or maybe Brave New World uh, cast. Yeah, I might do that. With an E, so it just doesn't list like the people who played the characters in... I assume there's a movie made of this. Oh, probably. I mean, there's a 1984 film. Yeah, I need to make myself watch that. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I can. Um, so Alpha's not helpful. Give me a minute. Well, I, I guess uh, the search didn't really prove that fruitful. Oh, there you go. Ah. The pyramid. Yes, there's a pyramid. Oh, stop doing this to me. Sorry. Download image. Okay. Now I have the image. So they were alphas were gray, betas were mulberry, gammas were green, deltas were khaki, epsilon were black. Okay. Mulberry is a strange color. Do they wear khaki? They do. It's just this pyramid's messed up. Okay. Excellent. Well, let's continue on with section two. Yes. With eyes for the most part downcast, and if ever they lighted on a fellow creature at once and furtively averted, Bernard hastened across the roof. He was like a man pursued, but pursued by enemies he does not wish to see, lest they should seem more hostile even than he had supposed, and he himself be made to feel guiltier and even more helplessly alone. That horrible Benito Hoover. And yet the man had meant well enough, which only made it, in a way, much worse. Those who meant well behaved in the same way as those who meant badly. Even Lenina was making him suffer. He remembered those weeks of timid indecision, during which he had looked and longed and despaired of ever having the courage to ask her. Dared he face the risk of being humiliated by a contemptuous refusal? But if she were to say yes, what rapture! Well, now she had said it, and he was still wretched. Wretched that she should have thought it such a perfect afternoon for obstacle golf. 
that she should have trotted away to join Harry Foster, that she should have found him funny for not wanting to talk of their most private affairs in public, wretched in a word because she had behaved as any healthy and virtuous English girl ought to behave and not in some other abnormal, extraordinary way. Mm, I think, yeah, so the reflection, one reflection here is that Benito, you know, Benito, that Benito can't help being who Benito is. Benito is just the way he is. But when it comes to, when it comes to Bernard, his, the fact that he knows what he should be, but he isn't, definitely affects his behavior, his personality, his attitude, like much, much worse, which makes it funny that he is a psychologist, as far as I can tell. Like he comes from the... His he, background, he works with hypnopedia. Yeah, he's. They were. I think they're indicating that his background is the psychology of hypnopedia. At the beginning, they. That, that's why people avoid him to some extent as well. And so I'm just looking at this, going, um, <laughs> um, this is the kind of inferiority that when you know you yourself should be superior in the classification system that you live, but you're not. This inadequacy is definitely fueling some serious rage. Well, and this makes sense uh, psychologically. It's very different to, in 1984, you know, um, O'Brien talks about how the inner party, they know how everything works. And you would think that would mean that they're above it all. But no, the inner party are the biggest zealots in the whole party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and but they, here here it seems yeah. Bernard knowing this is making him more miserable because he can't be like everyone else. Well, I think because he it may it's um, what's that the you know the idea of cognitive dissonance. The cognitive mm -hmm. dissonance is not that you know that there's something that you. I mean, we know the concept of cognitive dissonance is that you're confronted by something that makes you question your reality or your perceived notions. At least that's part of what it can be. So what you what you are observing, what you're seeing, what you're engaging with is not matching up to something that you previously think thought think you currently think feel that thing. It's basically so, double think. Yeah, it's essentially double think. And so it's but for him it's causing that discomfort is that he he's been programmed with hypnopedia. He knows he's in program with hypnopedia. He knows what his program is. And at the same time, he knows what their their system should be and what he should be within that system. And yet, all evidence to the contrary, in his appearance and in his being isolated from the rest, when this is not a society of individuals, this is not about individualism. And I think now it just dawned on me, he would have to be this way for him to be the main character because that paragraph right there the the um, torture of weeks trying to work up the courage to ask out Lenina that's very relatable to me and and the idea that oh what if she re refused but then of course because of how topsy-turvy the society is the fact she said yes that just poured on more suffering and then you know she's like uh and she want she talked about this stuff in front of everybody I mean that's what every girl would do but then there's that point where he's like but I thought maybe because I liked her, maybe she would be different. Just like I'm different, so I don't feel alone. Mm -hmm. This is a person who is alone yeah. in a society where, where that doesn't not... exist. Yes. Where loneliness was done away with when they got rid of families and relationships, right? 
Well, be- because uh, lonely people don't produce well. Yes. Oh, it's a mess. And again, again, he could probably fix all this if he took Soma, but he's choosing not to. Yeah, so he's not choosing the solution that they've prepared for the eventuality of an aberrant situation. Yeah. That he's refusing to follow the programming or the engineering, the engineered society. And that's, yeah. Oh, messy, 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 messy. Well, which is funny because it kind of, he's kind of perpetuating his own suffering. But, you know, I get it because, you know, I, I, I have that um, stubborn vein of, no, I don't want to take pills for anything, <laughs> even if well, they could help me, but. Yeah, and but in this case, I mean, it's even further, it's, we have stigma in our society, but then this is a whole nother thing. Like, this is pushing, like, a constant escape. If you, if you don't use escapism in order to function, and the way you function is by consuming. It's um, it's built in. Yeah. The, the 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 escapism and the consumerism is all one big tangled Gordian knot. Ugh. And I, yeah. if I recall, we late not in this chapter, but we do later on understand why he's not taking soma. But that's definitely a question I have on this reading because I can't remember exactly his okay. reasoning behind that. I'm sure. I'm wondering if um, he does have physiological, like there has to be a reason why he's different in such an engineered scenario that he's a bit of a throwback or something's going on physically. And he's obviously not able to tolerate Soma. Actually, here's a question. Do deltas take Soma? Hmm. That's a very good question. Like anything below beta, maybe they don't need it because they're, they're so helpful that they're made so stupid that maybe they don't need um, the, the yeah. switch. And I th- that would actually match up with the idea that something's gone wrong in his, in his production, so to speak, that he just happened to be exposed to the things that make him closer to the gammas, deltas, epsilons. But it's not that he, because um, he definitely needs Soma, like, you know, in this society, what he's going through should not be happening. He he should yes. he should be diving at the chance to uh, to use it. Yeah, but he's it. not using it, and I don't know how much of that is because of a psychological reason. How much of that is he's had an adverse physiological effect? Because what if they program and the gammas, the deltas, and the epsilons to be averse to soma use? Mm. Anyway, but that's just speculation, and we'll probably get up, get there when we get to the book. But I'm just hypothesizing. Yeah, yeah. It's a no, physiological no. ground. Anyway, yes. He opened the door of his lockup and called to a lounging couple of Delta Minus attendants to come and push his machine out onto the roof. The hangars were staffed by a single Bokanovsky group, and the men were twins, identically small, black, and hideous. Bernard gave his orders in the sharp rather... Oh, wait. Yeah, let One me... One second. Mm-hmm. Going back to that, Epsilons wear black, not Deltas. Oh, damn. So yep. that is racism. That's straight up racism. That's straight up racism. Yep. Okay. Sorry, guys. But that's yep. disgusting. <clears throat> yep. Because they're meant to be wearing khaki. Uh, yes, they are yeah. khaki. Khaki. I'm just writing it down for my own reference because I will forget and I can't open the file at the same time. So um, the first... 
mulberry for the mulberry green for grandmas and gray for the alphas gray mulberry green khaki black alpha beta gamma delta epsilon excellent and these are delta minus yeah so but they'd still be khaki yeah you know well that's what i'm saying they're not epsilon so yeah this ew. that well that, mm. that makes that all the worse yep this is disgusting yes on, on. on our first read through kind of put in a warning trying to emphasize that no he's he's not referring to the color of their skins the clothing and i guess we just didn't put it together then no we now know that he is referring to their ethnic heritage yeah boy. but whatever their ethnic heritage their skin tone supposedly is black yeah, yeah. Bernard gave his orders in the sharp, rather arrogant and even offensive tone of one who does not feel himself too secure in his superiority. And I just want to aside because last time I brought this up, I love that sentence. Because yet, you know, yes. the, the people who usually are the angriest or rudest or yell at people um, in shops, out in public, people they deem beneath them, they're usually the most insecure about their own position. And the the uh, I think I made I made the analogy of this reminds us of the behavior of someone who was a politician who was coming to power in the 1930s uh, at the time, and that would have been like the late 1920s, early 1930s, which is about the same time as as this book was written. So right. I'm wondering yeah. if that behavior is also something <laughs> that might have inspired this. Uh, to have dealings with members of the lower castes was always for Bernard a most distressing experience. For whatever the cause, and the current gossip about the alcohol in his blood surrogate may very likely, for accidents will happen, have been true. Bernard's physique is hardly better than that of the average gamma. He stood eight centimeters short of the standard alpha height and was slender in proportion. Contact with members of the lower castes always reminded him painfully of this physical inadequacy. I am I, and wish I wasn't. His self-consciousness was acute and stressing. Each time he found himself looking on the level instead of downward into a delta's face, he felt humiliated. Would the creature treat him with the respect due to his caste? The question haunted him, not without reason, for gammas, deltas, and epsilons had been to some extent conditioned to associate corporeal mass with social superiority. Indeed, a faint hypnopedic prejudice in favor of size was universal. Hence the laughter of the women to which he made proposals, the practical joking of his equals among the men. The mockery made him feel an outsider, and feeling an outsider, he behaved like one, which increased the prejudice against him and intensified the contempt and hostility aroused by his physical defects, which in turn increased his sense of being alien and alone. A chronic fear of being slighted made him avoid his equals, made him stand, where his inferiors were concerned, self-consciously on his dignity. How bitterly he envied men like Henry Foster and Benita Hoover, men who never had to shout at an epsilon in order to get an order obeyed, men who took their position for granted, men who moved through the caste system as a fish through water, so utterly at home as to be unaware either of themselves or of the beneficent and comfortable element in which they had their being. Yeah, yeah. So th th there's his whole problem. Well, kind of a core of his problem right there. Yeah, it's something a... happened. He's he's not the size he should be. Therefore, 
people treat him differently, which increases his anxiety and anger, which make people treat him differently. It's a glitch. It's a glitch that's got severe repercussions. Mm -hmm. And because in this system, they don't get rid of, they don't seem to get rid of their humans that, that don't fit properly. Mm. They just kind of go, well, that's what you were meant to be. And that's that. Otherwise yeah. they're, they're admitting to a failing in their system. There's a yeah. lot. It, the it, it's it's yeah. interesting also, cause I mean, he seems very good at his job. He's intelligent enough and he probably does the work well, but yeah, as, as a person, he's slowly deteriorating. Well, and then there's another aspect that you've got the whole accidents may happen in a society that's engineered. Why would you say that? That's been programmed into him. Mm, or, or yeah, or he's come to that realization. But, but no, I mean, you know, in 1984, that they, they they had entire systems in place to deal with uh, people who strayed from the path because that was inevitable. They just dealt with them very harshly. Um, but they were aware such things had to exist. And I assume in this society as well, there's um, fail safes put in place because, you know, he, he yeah. talks about like he's being pursued. He's obviously very paranoid about how he's feeling and, and how that... he's perceived and treated. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe they, they hope that it will self-correct. And, and in that leads back to, you know, that idea where, Soma. yeah, if, if he just took a bloody pill he probably would feel a lot better but then of course you know the the free will aspect of who i am is like i get it though it, is, isn't it better to feel miserable but feel in complete control of yourself than, than to yeah it's escape? it's it's, com it's definitely a mess but it, it's normal amongst alphas and betas mm. and so this is the thing it's like if it's normal why would it be out of a sense of control and like you so it, yeah. it doesn't actually yeah so he i think he doesn't like being alone but he might actually like not being outside but i wonder if he 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 i mean this whole section was saying he doesn't feel superior and that's why it's due to his inferiority etc etc but him having this knowledge, I wonder, uh, it's the same way, uh, and I'm sorry if anyone's a huge fan of conspiracy theories, I'm about to poop on you. Um, <laughs> poop on you. <laughs> but there's the same psychology that is behind people who are easily pulled into uh, conspiracy theories, you know, that idea of I know something that you don't know and yes, I belong I... here and I don't, you know, that belonging that comes from knowing something different. Uh, or, or or that, that that yeah, that secret knowledge that, that I, I am in the in group. I, I can yes. lord something over the people who I feel inferior to. Yes, and I think that's why, like, I feel in a way he doesn't realize, maybe it's a subconscious thing, that that's what it is that's driving that. That he mm. doesn't want to lose. I don't know. He's in, he's in, an individual who wants to be who wants to belong, but genuinely has it reinforced that he can't belong because he physically doesn't belong. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's actually not that simple for him. He can't just take soma and then suddenly he'll be tall and suddenly he won't be treated differently by his peers. He's still treated differently by his peers. That's not going to go away. His feelings about it might. Mm. But I think he's too aware of the reality of the programming as well, because he's doing the programming. 
Yeah, maybe, so every, maybe, um, yeah, that idea that, well, Soma actually won't fix my problem, so why take it? I think that's part of it, but also he's the one who's helping with the distribution of the programming, right? Mm. So he is every, is continuously exposed to the results of the programming on others by being treated differently due to his size and subconsciously ridiculed and, and all those things. And then at the same time, He's in. He he he's being told. Okay, just take the soma so that you don't feel bad about it. Mm. But it's not going to actually. He's daily on in his work. Yeah. He's confronted with the not only the interactions. He could deal with the emotions of the interactions, but he can't necessarily like just the facts keep confronting him. Yeah, because because I think that's the more insidious thing about this. If if this was just completely psychological programming, the hypnopedia, the idea that uh, we separate a certain percentage of the population to alpha, betas, gammas, deltas, epsilons, that would be one thing. But the fact that through through the magic of the science fiction universe, they also control the physiological outcome of uh, hmm. said groups that that and, reinforces yeah. this in a way that can't be overcome you know if everyone looked like everyone else and just wore the colors to distinguish them that would be one thing but but there's subtle but those obvious signs of of the different case yes I mean yeah you can't but we should continue slackly it seemed to him and with reluctance the twin attendants wheeled his plane out onto the roof hurry up said bernard irritably one of them glanced at him. Was that a kind of bestial derision that he detected in those blank gray eyes? Hurry up, he shouted more loudly, and there was an ugly rasp in his voice. He climbed into the plane and a minute later was flying southwards towards the river. The various Bureau of Propaganda and the College of Emotional Engineering were housed in a single 60-story building in Fleet Street. In the basement and on the low floors were the presses and offices of the three great London newspapers, the hourly radio, an upper cash sheet, the pale green gamma gazette, and on cocky paper, and in words exclusively of one syllable, the Delta Mirror, <laughs> which I, I laughed a bit about that last time. Cause... Sounds like the Daily Mirror to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Is that paper like a hundred years old? <laughs> Maybe it was always a rag. Probably. Uh, then came the Bureau of Propaganda by television, by feeling picture, and by synthetic voice and music, respectively, 22 floors of them. Above were the search laboratories and the padded rooms in which soundtrack writers and synthetic composers did the delicate work. The top 18 floors were occupied by the College of Emotional Engineering. Bernard landed on the roof of Propaganda House and stepped out. Ring down to Mr. Helmholtz Watson, he ordered the Gamma Plus porter, and tell him that Mr. Bernard Marks is waiting for him on the roof. He sat down and lit a cigarette. Helmholtz Watson was writing when the message came down. Tell him I'm coming at once, he said, and hung up the receiver. Then turning to his secretary, I'll leave you to put my things away, he went on in the same official and impersonal tone, and ignoring her lustrous smile, got up and walked briskly to the door. He was a powerfully built man, deep-chested, broad-shouldered, massive, and yet quick in his movements, springy and agile. The round, strong pillar of his neck supported a beautifully shaped head. His hair was dark and curly, his features strongly marked. In a forcible, emphatic way, he was handsome and looked, as his secretary was never tired of repeating, every centimeter an alpha plus. 
By profession, he was a lecturer at the College of Emotional Engineering, Department of Writing, and the intervals of his educational activities, a working emotional engineer. He wrote regularly for the hourly radio, composed feely scenarios, and had the happiest knack for slogans and hypnopedic rhymes. Abel was the verdict of his superiors, perhaps, and they would shake their heads, would significantly lower their voices, a little too able. Yes, a little too able. They were right. A mental excess had produced in Helmholtz Watson effects very similar to those which, in Bernard Marx, were the result of a physical defect. Too little bone and brawn had isolated Bernard from his fellow men, and the sense of this apartness being, by all the current standards, a mental excess, became in its turn a cause of wider separation. That which had made Helmholtz so uncomfortably aware of being himself and all alone was too much ability. What the two men shared was the knowledge that they were individuals. But whereas the physically defective Bernard had suffered all his life from the consciousness of being separate, it was only quite recently that grown aware of his mental excess, Helmholtz Watson had also become aware of his difference from the people who surrounded him. This escalator squash champion, this indefatigable lover, it was said that he had had 640 different girls in under four years. This admirable committee man and best mixer had realized quite suddenly that sports, women, communal activities were only, so far as he was concerned, second bests. Really, and at the bottom, he was interested in something else. But in what? That was the problem which Bernard had come to discuss with him, or rather, since it was always Helmholtz who did all the talking, to listen to his friend discussing yet once more. So Bernard's friend is almost the opposite. Yeah, well, in the sense of that he's maxed out all the possible things he could do. Yeah, like so, physically he is like a perfect alpha plus specimen. Yeah, so he's socially celebrated in a, in a way and, and ex beyond accepted. And he's like going, but this isn't enough. There has to be more to life. Because, I'm missing something. And because he's so exceptional in everything he does, he has kind of raised the eyebrows of all those around him. Well, I think it's more that he's he is so superior in the sense of like his his ability his uh he can do all the things that they say are the standard for excellence, yes? But it seems he, he goes a lot like he, he's exceptional even in that. Yeah, yes. So he is at the, he is the epitome of excellence. And yet he this is not enough for him. Mm. Like something is missing. He's identified that something is missing. I like how it says he's only recently come to this realization. Well, of course, because until then, he didn't feel isolated and alone. When you, If you're right on the top of the mountain and you look around and there's no one there but you, you're going to be alone. Yeah, yeah. but I guess it, it didn't bother him until recently. Yeah, well, I don't think he realized it. I don't think he realized that it was isolating him. Yeah, like it, that it, was... Sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. That, that that was, he's like going, well, and now what? Yes. It's kind of like that you hear about people who, because we all kind of, it, it seems to be a very basic uh, striving in most people that to be rich and famous, that idea to be wealthy and have everyone know who you are to leave your mark on the world. That's That seems most people share some version of that well, it's, desire. It's what we're encouraged to by our current societal standards. Th that yes. is true. Um, but but my, my point I'm making is you hear over and over again the story of when people finally 
reach that goal, how they yeah. still feel that emptiness or they look to what's next. It's, it's never, it, it, it's never enough. Yeah. There's always like, what now? What now? Yeah. Mm. And, and so I guess for some people, it takes a while to get there because, you know, like anything, when you have something new and exciting and you're good and everyone's happy and yeah, you can yeah. ride that. Well, different people can ride that for different lengths of time. Yeah, well, he's maxed out all the possible standards of material uh, achievement, I think is the word. Mm. He's done it all. And now he's going, well, what now? And he doesn't know what it is because they don't talk about mm -hmm. and they don't know about, so to speak, all these things like relationships and, and whether, the, like, that's not considered, like, they've been programmed not to consider those sources of fruitful or, or, or what's it called? Um, enrichment. Mm. Those, those are perverse things. Yeah. It's yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Three charming girls from the Bureau of Propaganda by synthetic voice waylaid him as he stepped out of the lift. Oh, Helmholtz, darling, do come and have a picnic supper with us on Exmoor. They clung round him imploringly. He shook his head. He pushed his way through them. No, no, we're not inviting any other man. But Helmholtz remained unshaken even by this delightful promise. No, he repeated, I'm busy. And he held resolutely on his course. The girls trailed after him. It was not till he had actually climbed into Bernard's plane and slammed the door that they gave up pursuit, not without reproaches. These women, he said as the machine rose into the air. These women, and he shook his head. He frowned. Too awful, Bernard hypocritically agreed, wishing, as he spoke the words, that he could have as many girls as Helmholtz did, and with as little trouble. He was seized with a sudden urgent need to boast. I'm taking Lenina Crown to New Mexico with me, he said in a tone as casual as he could make it. Are you? said Helmholtz, with a total absence of interest. Then after a little pause, this last week or two, he went on, I've been cutting all my committees and all my girls. You can't imagine what a hullabaloo they've been making about it at the college. Still, it's been worth it, I think. The effects. He hesitated. Well, they're odd. They're very odd. A physical shortcoming can produce a kind of mental excess. The process, it seemed, was reversible. Mental excess could produce, for its own purposes, the voluntary blindness and deafness of deliberate solitude the artificial impotence of asceticism. The rest of the short flight was accomplished in silence. When they had arrived and were comfortably stretched out on the pneumatic sofas in Bernard's room, Helmholtz began again. Speaking very slowly, Did you ever feel, he asked, as though you had something inside you that was only waiting for you to give it a chance to come out? Some sort of extra power that you aren't using, you know, like all the water that goes down the falls instead of through the turbines. He looked at Bernard questioningly. You mean all the emotions one might be feeling if things were different? Helmholtz shook his head. Not quite. I'm thinking of a queer feeling I sometimes get. A feeling that I've got something important to say and the power to say it, only I don't know what it is, and I can't make any use of the power. If there was some different way of writing, or else something else to write about. He was silent. Then, you see, he went on at last, I'm pretty good at inventing phrases. You know, the sort of words that suddenly make you jump, almost as though you'd sat on a pin. They seem so new and exciting, even though they're about something hypnopedically obvious. But that doesn't seem enough. It's not enough for the phrases to be good. What you make with them ought to be good, too.
But your things are good, Helmholtz. Oh, as far as they go, Helmholtz shrugged his shoulders. But they go such a little way. They aren't important enough somehow. That's the thing when he's saying it's it the things that i do reinforce what we already know yeah yeah a lot like he he's a, he's you know he's celebrated as like a top writer but he's like i can make up words but the ideas i'm expressing i want something beyond it's all too because easy everything, and it doesn't yeah. mean anything well no he's he's saying it does mean something no he's not saying that it doesn't mean anything but he's saying that it's it's they aren't important because they are, um, they're, they're, there's nothing new about them. They're the same thing, just regurgitated in a different way. So people are feel as though it's, it's something fresh, but really everything they know is already programmed into them hypnopedically. Right. So does that? So there's there's no innovation and there's no new. There's innovation in how they say it. Yes. Mm. But the content is the same. So we, we will a little later get into what the feelies are and how they work. But just now I'm thinking also, you know, he's by all intents and purposes in the society, he's an artist. He's making he, he's making the, uh, you know, he's writing for mass consumption, but he's still writing. The thing is that, you know, the, the part of the purpose of art as a general concept is to nourish the soul. and that that goal is not needed in this society. No. And and usually explore ideas that haven't been explored before. Mm -hmm. This is this is going through and repackaging, so to speak, things that they already you say like they um so you sat on a pin, they seem so new and exciting, even though they're about something hypnopedically obvious. Mm-hmm. It's all, they know this all. There's nothing, I'm not giving them anything new, but I'm, I'm good at making it feel new for them. Yeah. But there's nothing new about it. I think what he's, without him saying it, I think he's going to go, go on with it. Like, what if there's more? What I could, like, I feel like I could be doing more. I could be saying something that's actually important. Important, and I'm translating as meaning new, novel, new, yeah. different. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Uh, but they go such a little way. They aren't important enough somehow. I feel I could do something much more important. Yes, and more intense, more violent. But what? What is there more important to say? And how can one be violent about the sort of things one is expected to write about? Words can be like x-rays if you use them properly. They'll go through anything. You read and you're pierced. That's one of the things I try to teach my students. How to write piercingly. Sorry, I just realized. Okay, so there's that thing. Anyway, it's like that bit where he's saying, but um, how can one be violent about the sort of things one's expected to write about? Mm. And and I, I just just to, I think we're on the same page, but uh, violence being used kind of to mean explosive, not necessarily uh, hostile. Not physically, yeah, not hostile. We're talking like that it actually in incurs change. Impact. Yeah. So, but yeah, Piercing. but... But what were you saying about you being violent when there's nothing to write about? No, it's saying what? Uh, no, no, no. Um, it was saying. Um, yeah, I, it just sounded like you you were going into an idea based off that. No, no, that was the things like what the he was saying. What is there more important? No, no. 
how can one be violent about the sort of things one's expected to write about? Yeah, expected. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like there's the structure, and they can't leave the structure. What he's talking about, without being obvious about it or without being aware about it, he's discussing change. Mm. And I think it's just right on the you know the tip of your brain, tip of your tongue, tip yeah. of his brain, like where he's aware that what he is discussing is ideas or concepts or principles that could cause innovation and change but then he's programmed that nothing should change yeah that this is the status quo yeah oh, e even even when he says you know i love that um words are like x-rays they can go through anything you read them and you're pierced yeah that like the best writing is definitely that yeah yeah but what on earth is the good of being pierced by an article about a community sing or the latest improvement in scent organs? Besides, can you make words really piercing, you know, like the very hardest x-rays when you're writing about that sort of thing? Can you say something about nothing? That's what it finally boils down to. I try and I try. Hush, said Bernard suddenly and lifted a warning finger. They listened. I believe there's somebody at the door, he whispered. Helmholtz got up tiptoed across the room and with a sharp, quick movement, flung the door wide open. There was, of course, nobody there. I'm sorry, said Bernard, feeling and looking uncomfortably foolish. I suppose I've got things on my nerves a bit. When people are suspicious with you, you start being suspicious with them. He passed his hand across his eyes. He sighed. His voice became plaintive. He was justifying himself. If you knew what I'd had to put up with recently, he said almost tearfully, and the uprush of his self-pity was like a fountain suddenly released, if you only knew. Helmholtz Watson listened with a certain sense of discomfort. Poor little Bernard, he said to himself. But at the same time, he felt rather ashamed for his friend. He wished Bernard would show a little more pride. And that's the end of the chapter. So yeah, I'm seeing a lot of, like, without them being aware, the whole emotional side. Like, Bernard is very much this idea of, but what if it would be okay to feel the way I feel? Yeah, and I, I think also it's a bit of um, just there, you know, like Helmholtz is there with Bernard because he considers him a friend, but it it seems to be very one-sided, very selfish. He wants Bernard as a sounding board for his own ideas. So when Bernard tries to voice his own, what he's going through and maybe get a sympathetic ear, you know, because he is very lonely, he, he, he probably yeah. really enjoys spending time with Helmholtz. Helmholtz, probably due to his program, he's like, you're not behaving like an alpha. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's that, whether it's, there's that subconscious prejudice, but then you've got, let's throw something else at that. I'm wondering if Helmholtz is so focused on the intellectual side, like the philosophical uh, yep, yep. and intellectual side, whereas Bernard is actually reflecting on the, the, the ex human, I mean, for lack of a better word, the human side of what if it was okay to feel the way I feel? Sad, upset, angry, frustrated, like, but I'm not allowed. I'm not right. It's not right for me to... Does that like make sense that Bernard, because of the fact that he has felt um, isolated by virtue of, of his physical appearance and has been a victim of... I mean, essentially, he's been a victim of bullying. Yes. Bullying and standing out in a way like rumor and bullying and nasty things. Yes? Yeah. Whereas, to be blunt, I think Helmholtz is just bored. Yeah, yeah. Helm, Hel Helmholtz is under-challenged and bored. If he was given by the, the controllers and the designers of this society, if he was given something more to do, 
intellectually that was worthy of his intellectual acumen, so to speak, mm. he'd be fine. He wouldn't be considered considering himself isolated. Huh? And there, there lies in a problem because he already is the top of the top. He's an alpha plus and he's an exceptional alpha plus. So in this structure, there's nothing more for him to do. But he hasn't done, he's not, He's not a, um, what's it called? You know, the controllers? No, he's not a controller because I guess he wasn't bred for that purpose. He wasn't bred as a controller and he probably would have benefited from being bred as a controller. Does that make sense? Like that, that bit. Because if he was part of engineering the society, then he'd be plenty occupied. He'd be fine. That's but he's true. not. And then you've got someone like Bernard who, if he just felt emotion like that it was okay to feel how he feels he wouldn't like actually i'd argue that bernard has more impetus for change or more desire for change in the society that they live in whereas for helmholtz it's just an intellectual exercise to keep him busy yeah yeah or, or to, to deal with this yeah feeling he has himself and that, he doesn't that... want to deal with the feeling he so he just wants he intellectualizes it yeah yeah it's well, I mean, we'll probably get into it, but it, the question I have is, like, does Helmholtz take some? I don't think he actually deals with his... I think he... So this is funny because I have this challenge myself. I'll intellectualize things that I'm emotionally uncomfortable about. Mm-hmm. I, 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 think, I think we all do that. We all do. I do it to a point where it's pathological, to uh, the point where yeah. I actually have to... <laughs> my psychologist... It, she's like getting getting me to express something that is painful emotionally is like pulling teeth. It'll take us an hour for me to actually get down to the thing that's causing that there is an emotional distress. And this is after she's like, you are so hard to coax the we're very frank with each other. <laughs> she's like, it's so hard to coax the what's emotionally distressing you out of you. And I'm like, going, I know it's it's just not my thing. I don't I'll, I'll hide it or I'll intellectualize or I'll. Mm -hmm. I'll focus on what I should be thinking, what I could, yeah. that kind of stuff. And, and you, and, or going, well, like it's just being dismissive of your emotional state is not a healthy approach. No. Um, and yeah. So, but I'm thinking that's where the difference is that Humboldt isn't dealing, he hasn't had as much emotional trauma, so to speak. Right, Bernard has experience with emotion. Yes, he has experience knowing that with trauma. And because, he's not. Uh, imagine that if, like, just thought exercise here, but yeah. you know, like, as a human, you're born into the world and you never feel emotion for whatever reason. Then, you know, like maybe on your 30th birthday, suddenly something happens and you feel sad or happy or you laugh or you cry. Basically, something yeah. triggers an emotional response and it's the first time in your life you've ever had an emotional response. That would be terrifying. Well, there's that, but also they do have emotions. They have discussed the emotions, mm. but they don't have unpleasant emotions unless it's being used to drive a response away from a physical distraction. Mm. Remember from the first chapters, they have emotions, right? Yeah. But they're not, they're the emotions that lead to financial or economic prosperity and productivity, not the emotions that detract therefrom. Like, for example, when the kids are given that, uh, the, the fear of flowers and, and, uh, oh, yeah, fear, fear is an emotion. But I was about to say with what, what you were saying, they don't have emotions, but they have desires. Well, no, they have emotions like discomfort is an emotion. 
it, it can be. It's a feeling. Well, I mean, emotions are like the grown-up version of feelings, but it's feeling. It's having feelings like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that one time that girl didn't accept me or didn't uh, didn't let yeah. me have. The, yeah, it felt terrible. That and it felt terrible. They don't necessarily know what the emotions are. Hmm. They don't define them. They just define them as I want this. <laughs> I deserve this by virtue of what I am. I get this. Yeah, there should be there should be no uh, obstacles between what I want and me getting it. Yes, which well, is a for very the alphas, uh, very childish mode of thinking. For the alphas and the betas, definitely, and then and then depending on what case they belong to, they have different understandings of what they are and are not entitled to, and what and what what they do and do not desire. And it, it's desire is still part of it, but that discomfort and that delay. Mm. I had to wait almost a week, like you know that kind of thing. I'm re- re- remembering the first chapter. Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile um, Bernard was agonizing over weeks to ask Lenina out. Yeah. And, and that's partially because of his inferiority and all that. But it gives us an idea that I don't think that... So, so I... Anyway, this is my sense. My sense is that Helmholtz, it's intellectual boredom and lack of stimulus. Right. Or feel the, well, what now? I've, you know, I, I have traveled the world and there's nothing more for me to see. Versus Bernard, where it's, I never have gotten the satisfaction or I've always felt like I don't belong. I'm ne- never enough. So that continual, this is not fair in this society, I should be this. So why am I not getting that? Why am I not getting the, enti- the things that I'm entitled to? And and I think also because of um, we touched on it briefly talking about why he didn't take soma, I think he's smart enough to realize that we're the way he's living. There is no way to fix this. Yes, and so it's it's for him. He was talking about that we should feel the way we should feel, uh, and Bernard's going that that we, that we could be feeling different things. And then uh, Helmholtz goes, no, no, more that you can express things that are new. And different and actually innovative and not hypnopedically obvious, so to speak, like actually saying something new and worthwhile. Mm. So there, there is a distinct, like I, I can see this being set up for them to have major disagreement eventually. <laughs> like that's the kind of thing, because they're, they're fundamentally, their issues, despite them being isolated, both being isolated, both of them standing out in this society, for different reasons, there the motivation behind coping or dealing or what causes this is so disparate. Yeah, and their it, solution is disparate. Yeah, yeah, and I guess maybe they're only talking to each other because that's all they get. Well, that's the only people like that's the only encounter that they've got so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there's a whole world out there, and we'll find out <laughs> as the book continues. Yeah, now. Now, I mean, we touched a little on this last time when we read through the chapter, and maybe it's because we're revisiting old ground, but um, I, I think, you, you know, you were much more alive during this, this chapter because it's actually about characters. Yes, yes. There's actual something going on. Actually, you know, there's a, like I'm a bad habit of spoilering, but I haven't read this book, so it's not a spoiler as much as it is a I wonder if... I wonder if Bernard is going to suggest or or Helmholtz is going to invite himself on a trip. 
Oh, the New Mexico trip? Mm. Because I'm wondering if seeing that same trip from the different perspectives will change the dynamics of their relationships and also give him something to write about that isn't just the feelies and like you know like so he could use it as a research trip yeah. to come up with something new to write about i i am going uh folks who are listening who know the book i'm going completely poker faced when she mentioned the new mexico trip <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's just, just say you you know you know how um most stories the midpoint of the stories when things change take a shift yeah the new mexico trip is about the halfway point of the book okay so it's the it's the shift yeah the the, the book changes okay curious. but the story changes you know huh, curious so I, I i still don't know what's going on but curious <laughs> and, and and now that actually even with me reading this chapter you know now that we've gotten past the setup of the world and we're with the characters i'm now remembering why i enjoyed this book so much because you know i what your reaction to the first three chapters made me question why i like this book because i'd forgotten you know i just remembered a f story points so i'm like i really enjoy how this book works and and seeing just your visceral negative reaction to that that material which is completely understandable it, it made me go yeah. wait wait am i misremembering this is this book just awful maybe when i was younger and edgier i really liked what it was doing but no no now that we're back with the characters i'm like yes this is I remember what happens to all of them, and this is why I like the book. Well, the characters are complex, and that's interesting to me. Um, I I don't have as much sympathy for Helmholtz. Mm. I do, and I don't. I don't have as much sympathy for Bernard. I do, and I don't. So, I mean, and the same with Lenina. All of them, there's enough to have sympathy towards them. Makes them relatable. You can relate to yeah, where they're, they're coming flawed. from. They're flawed in their own way and also comparatively to the, you know, what you'd want to see in a person, I guess. if it, For me, what I'd want to see in a person that's... Um, how do I phrase this? A person that one is trying to set up as members of the apex of society, if I actually believed in such a thing, which I do not. I don't believe in apexes and, and, and mm -hmm. I don't believe in case systems. So if I were... And then I'm going wow these guys are horrible <laughs> like <laughs> well okay let let me let me throw this question on you before we wrap up um because would you agree that while bernard and helmholtz have elements to their character that make them um they're aberrant in this society there's something about them that doesn't fit within the the machine mm. yes but lenina seems to be like a model citizen Yes, you'd agree with that? No. Oh, right, because she's staying with the... With yeah, so I think she's instinctively also a bit of a throwback. But, well, the question I was going to ask, and I've kind of thrown a wrench in my own question, but I'll continue forward, because Lenina, okay, well, she she's the most baseline of the characters so far in terms of what the society she's, wants. She's... The She's closest, clo closer. She's the closest to what one would hope a model alpha would look like, based on what we're, we were given as an impression in the first few chapters. Well, my question is thinking about the New Mexico trip because that's probably going to be at least a week. How do you think someone like that, who's 
quote unquote normal or at least closer that is going to handle spending a week with Bernard. Yeah. The the fact that also she's gonna she's gonna in- insist that he takes Soma repeatedly. I don't know. Like I I, I think okay. she is in the in the society that Aldous Huxley has created, where Soma is the solution to almost everything. And she's going to be pushing that solution onto Bernard. That would be if she were the archetypical representation of an alpha and if she's following her programming. Because, you know, um, I'm just imagining it. And now I, I kind of forget how like the the uh, the uh, arc of their interaction. But just from her behavior, like they're going to get together maybe like the first day oh, let's just sleep together because it means nothing. And he's going to make up every excuse and he's going to stammer and feel uncomfortable and that's instantly going to create a wedge. Yeah, that would make sense. But I also think that something is, is I don't know, she's not perfect Like in terms of she's also got that thing where she's attached. Mm. But who is she attached to? She's attached to someone who's, sorry, to for lack of a better word, is a bit of a... <laughs> Well, he wants the, all the trains to run on time, for lack of a He's better He's controlling. Metaphor. He's controlling and obsessive and structured and rigid. And she's attracted to that. Whether that's a case of fear of instability or not, that's another thing. Yeah, but big, big complicated questions. And then I guess being in a different environment will also be... Huh. Anyway, I'm curious. I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. See, see now, now, now that there's characters and and we can now speculate on what's going to happen to them whereas yeah the previous chapters it was like this is the world isn't it terrible (laughs) so so good good we i i think just the fact we're dealing with people now you know and and i i hold true that idea that a uh, a good story is based on good characters Mm. because stories are at their core about people and wanting to see people change and grow and what happens to them And and you know maybe a little more abstractly that's maybe why science fiction turns off a lot of people because because it can seem more clinical and about ideas rather than about people. Yeah, yes, it can. Yeah, and unless it's framed with people, really, I know there's a few science fiction authors that I enjoy that look at deep philosophy, but also look at. The like create characters that bring it to life. Yes, I'm trying to think. As a counterpoint, I, I even even though I love the Foundation books, I have always found Asimov rather dry. And Asimov is is for me dry also. Um, I mean, uh, <sighs> Ursula Le Guin. Mm-hmm. I I know we wouldn't consider her work to be science fiction. It's more fantasy, but there are ways that she writes that depending on how you, the, the the her essays have just their their philosophical concepts maybe not sci-fi but they she is discussing a lot of deep philosophy essentially but she does it in a way that you can connect with like the descriptions of the characters right which is really really effective i don't know there's others as well but just off the top of my head anyway Okay, well, I, I think it's about time to wrap up. What uh, I, yes. I've really enjoyed this uh, this episode. Uh, hope Excellent. you all have too, um, especially you, Rue, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually have some characters now. Yay. 
I still hate their society, but <laughs> they have some characters. Sorry, well, their well, system. Y- you're not alone because Bernard and Helmholtz seems to have problem with it. Good, too. I will join them in, in disliking their society. Bernard is the Winston of this tale. Mm, Bernard is just unsatisfied that he doesn't fit in. He's I not can relate to that. Dis- yeah, but that's not not necessarily being dissatisfied with society. If he were the status quo, he'd be fine. If he were physically the same as all the other yep. alphas, he wouldn't have that. Yep. Um, so, so I, I mean, you know, again, this is maybe a bit of a shrift, but that idea that it's 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 our quote unquote defects that make us special. Yeah, except in this society, but yeah, not in this society. Okay. So yeah, the uh, the music at the top of the podcast was Soma by Lionel Moser. At the end, as always, it's I'm the Slime by Frank Zappa. Hmm. And my brain is not working. Oh, you you can find me on Twitter over at Dave underscore the underscore Turnip. You can find me at Rue McMoo, uh, also at Twitter. And you can find our podcast at SMBSLT Podcast, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and at gmail.com to contact us. Yeah, uh, please, please leave reviews. Yeah, <laughs> reviews, feedback. Uh, tell us what you are uh, thinking of this episode in particular or the book we're covering, past books. If you have suggestions for future books you would be interested in hearing us read and discuss, we're very open for that. So, on that note, I have sourdough babies to check on. <laughs> and we'll, we'll check on those next time. Happy reading, folks. Bye.